Thank you for connecting to the Bethany Chapel Sermon Link. Our prayer is that you will find the following sermon helpful and inspiring for your spiritual journey. If you are a visitor to this resource, or if you've not attended our church, we would love to meet you in person. Our vision at Bethany Chapel is opening doors to God's truth and love. God bless you as you listen. We're continuing our series in Romans, and I'm going to talk about one of the hardest things for any of us to do, and that is to sort through relational ruts and to sort of reconstruct or renovate those relationships. We're going to touch a lot on the issue of forgiveness. Recently, I went on a trip up north uh, near uh, Swan Hills, Alberta, with a friend of mine from Bethany who shall rename, uh, remain nameless. But anyway, Asa and I were driving down some old gravel roads uh, that were soaked uh, from springs that you could see sometimes seemed like they were coming up in the middle of the road, rains that had taken place over the last couple of weeks that hadn't completely you know, dried up, some bogs that were next to these gravel roads. And you could see that they were a bit dangerous. There's not a lot of people uh, in mid to northern Alberta. And so if you get stuck, you might be walking for miles and miles and miles to find some help. But uh, even though the roads looked a little dangerous, we had a three-quarter ton pickup and a truck full of optimism because two of the greatest guys we knew were in that truck. Now, the last experience I had with Asa had already broken me in to expect the unexpected. I had been on an elk hunt with Asa and had watched him physically handle something that had come out of the south end of a northbound elk. And evidently he was sort of an expert on determining when the elk was there and so on. And I was kind of in shock and I think he was just showing off. But that examination sent me to the very top of a mountain the last time where we didn't see an elk at all. But we had a long, long, long exercise routine. I think my wife just signs me up to spend time with people from Bethany so I stay in shape during COVID. So we see a few ruts in a wet gravel road. Seemed like an easy challenge until it wasn't. And we got about a third or a half away across one of these series of ruts where there was some moisture in the road and we sunk into that road. We tried forward, we tried reverse, it didn't matter. We got out of the truck and by we I mean Asa strapped on a set of blocks. I've never seen these before, but like a, you know, four inch by 12 inch by one and a half inch deep, you put them on your truck when it's stuck and it, you know, it's to grab the gravel and help get you out. I'd never seen it before. Asa puts those on. All it did was dig us deeper into that roadbed. Finally, we unloaded a winch, tied our truck to a set of trees to pull ourselves out. And it was about a two and a half hour adventure there in the middle of a gravel road in Swan Hills. In fact, here's a picture of the rut that we found ourselves in. Without the right tools, we'd still be walking to town. We'd still be stuck. This week I'm interviewing for new friends from Bethany. And so is Asa because he knows whenever I'm with him he's going to end up in a sermon the next week. But that picture is a great metaphor for the relational ruts that we get ourselves into. Life can be cruel. And usually when we say life can be cruel, there is a person or there are people on the other end of that reality. Family members from our family of origin, employers, 
former friends, church members, fellow students. And once the damage is done in our life, once there's been some sort of relational fracture, we get stuck in a rut deeply. And our natural inclinations take over. We may want to even a score. We may want to forgive, but aren't even sure what that looks like because of the level of the damage between us. We struggle sometimes to know what a relationship should look like moving forward, if there even should be one. We may never want to see somebody again. And as Christians, sometimes we wonder, is is that even okay to have that feeling that I never want to see somebody again? I'm supposed to forgive them, but if I forgive them, does the relationship need to be restored because I would never trust them? And all of these sort of personal and practical and theological concepts are rushing through our minds And until we sort it out, we remain trapped in a rut, unable to get out. Now, I want to do something a little unusual today. We're going to read Romans 12, verses 14 through 21, which is a series of commands about relationships in the world that we live in. And we're going to look at some key principles there. But one thing we're going to notice is when we're reading through that passage, even though it relates to the subject of forgiveness, the word forgive is never in there. But we know that the Bible teaches forgiveness, and the Bible also teaches these principles in Romans chapter 12. So we're going to overlay those principles that we read with the Bible's command to forgive. And we're going to land with multiple options available to each of us when we find ourselves in a relational rut. Romans chapter 12, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. Now again, we're in the practical section in Romans. We're out of sort of the theological section, what Christ has done for us, how we've been declared righteous. We're getting into the practical part of this. Now, how do we obey God with this new reality? And we're in a series of verses at the end of Romans that don't all seem connected, but they all have to do with our relationships around us. Beginning in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Here's where I want us to focus. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Here's a key verse. If possible. In other words, God understands it's not. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Never take your own revenge where you're initiating it, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's a quote from an Old Testament proverb. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now again, I want to look at three principles that are directly from this passage. And then we're going to overlay the concept of forgiveness on it and give us some very practical advice about how to align future relationships where there's been a fracture. First, God recognizes that some relationships are destined to fail. 
God recognizes that some relationships are destined to fail. And by that, I mean they can't be put together again. God recognizes that. Sometimes God is more realistic about this than we are. I'm going to give you an example of that. But in verse 18 it says, and I love this verse, it's really helped me to sort this out in my own life, if possible, in other words, it's not always possible, but if possible, so far as it depends on you, there's a condition there, two conditions, be at peace with all men. I'm so thankful that this verse is in the Bible. Why? Because Christians tend to think that everything that is broken can be put back together again because of Jesus. We just naturally tend to think that Jesus is the solution for everything, therefore everything that's broken, at the end of the day, if we believe in Jesus, it can be fully restored, fully put back together again. And I think that's a misunderstanding of reality, and I hate to say this, I think it's also a misunderstanding of what forgiveness does and what forgiveness doesn't do. Here's a great example. It's a very popular author, he actually, I believe, has written a lot of books on uh, like suffering and grieving. Harold Ivan Smith, here's a quote on the subject of forgiveness, which I deeply disagree with. We've made adultery grounds for divorce. In actuality, it's grounds for forgiveness. We've made adultery in the church, from the Bible, grounds for divorce. In actuality, it's grounds for forgiveness. And you say, Paul, how could you argue with that? He's encouraging forgiveness. It sounds good, we should forgive. But he's ignoring why that passage is in the Bible in the first place. Even God recognizes that when certain things take place in a marriage relationship, it is likely to end the relationship. And God accepts that. And God sets that as a, as a rational sort of boundary for marriage. That sexual fidelity is, is an expectation and a legitimate one. So even God knows that sometimes broken things cannot be put back together, yet many Christians ignore the plain words of the Bible because they want to believe that everything can be fixed. But God recognizes that not everything can be fixed. And he gives us remedies in those situations. God knows that. This verse is a great recognition of it. If possible... If possible, in other words, it's not always possible, but if possible, so far as it depends on you, it doesn't always depend on you, a condition that you can't always meet. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. God recognizes. This verse recognizes. It's not always going to happen. It takes two to make something work. So now you've got broken relationships. God sees it as normal at times. Not ideal, never ideal, obviously. Many of the commands, you know, the, the great commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Obviously, God wants relational unity, relational harmony, relational peace in our lives because he knows how much damage it does to us when we can't create that, but he also knows it's not always going to happen as we live in a fallen world and people don't always do the right thing and some relationships can never be fully restored. God sees that as normal, not ideal. It's a part of life in a hostile world. The question is, when that happens, what do we do?
Second principle we see here. When relationships fail, let God handle the justice aspect. When relationships fail, let God handle the justice aspect. Now we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like, but two verses in this passage, at least two, relate to this. Paul says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Then you have the, if possible, be at peace with all men. Then another verse about this subject. Never take your own revenge. Revenge should never be initiated by a Christian. But that doesn't mean justice isn't to take place. It just shouldn't be your justice. It's not frontier justice where you sort of take things into your own hands. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about justice in every situation. Beloved, leave room for the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When relationships fail, let God handle the justice aspect. Now, we are designed with a desire to see that things are fair and right and just when there's been a relational break. We all care about fairness and sort of righteousness as it relates to fairness and justice. Now, I believe this is one of the clearest evidences of God's image in us, which is interesting because all around the world, you know, we, we're living during times of, of these justice movements, and they've been largely divorced from the Bible. People aren't saying it necessarily because the Bible says it, but I think they're reflecting God's image in them in, in many great ways. Animals don't think about justice. You ever seen a coyote with a rabbit? you know, feeling guilty or the other animal, parts of the animal kingdom complaining that the coyotes got the rabbit, or actually better, since we're in Alberta and the rabbits are like this big, a rabbit carrying out, around with a coyote in its mouth? The animal world doesn't care. That's just part of, part of nature. The strong survive. People don't think that way. Nobody says among humanity, the strong survive. We want fairness. We want rightness we want justice and it's because of God's image in us that sort of uh, that sort of thinking comes from Christians and people who aren't people of faith as well and when relationships fail due to some sort of particularly unfair or hostile act towards a person or a group of people our justice muscle starts flexing we get upset on behalf of others. That is a part of who we are, is created in God's image. And both from a biblical and a legal perspective, we have three options when we see injustice or when it happens to us, more importantly. Revenge. Paul addresses it. You know, don't seek your own justice or revenge, but revenge is personal justice. Revenge is when I am going to settle the score. And because, you know, we live in a civilized society, you're not going to do it with violence, but still, there are ways to settle a score. You can destroy another person's reputation pretty easily. You can affect another person. You can take revenge in a variety of ways. But revenge is when you decide that justice is going to be in your hands and you're going to exact it. A second option is societal justice. There are times where, where something that happens to you, something that happens to somebody else, may actually be a violation of the law, 
And society is there, government is there, the next chapter talks about that, to exact justice when laws are broken, when a person's rights are violated. That's why we have government to, to praise what is good and to punish evil. The purpose of government in the scriptures Society will often exact justice when laws are broken so that we don't have to take it into our own hands. That's the way it's supposed to work. And then the third option, which a Christian should believe in, is God's justice. And this is a hard thing. It's a hard thing for me as a Christian. I absolutely believe God is just. God as judge rewards and punishes Unfortunately, in this life or the next. I don't like that part. I would be very happy in deep wounds in my own life to trust in God's justice if I could just get his assurance he would do it while I'm still alive and that I could watch and know that he made something right. But as a believer, we don't have that assurance. We just know at the end of the day, God will be fair. God will be just in this life or the next. And it's one of the hard things about being a Christian is laying aside our hurts and trusting God knows and God will make something right someday. But Paul says we've got to take that out of our own hands. We've got to let it be solved by somebody else. For the Christian, personal revenge is not an option. Verse 19, never take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. Personal revenge is not an option. Societal justice is an option. God's justice is an option. And here's a key point that I want to make about this passage right now. This passage does not mention forgiveness at all. But we all know that in all of these situations, God commands us to forgive. So what I want you to think through for a second is this. We have commands from God about forgiveness, and they must be followed. And also we have commands from God about how to handle the score. What's happened relationally between us and another person. There's a debt that is incurred by an offense there's an obligation that's incurred when we are wronged. In fact, that's why uh, in many translations in the Lord's Prayer, we're, we're to say, forgive us our debts. It's actually a financial term, but it obviously means an obligation that is incurred towards us when we are hurt by another person. Forgiveness is releasing the need to be paid back by that person. That's really what forgiveness is. You've done something terrible to me, or I've done something terrible for you, you are releasing the need for me to make that right with you. And you're giving that issue to God or to society. But the first step in forgiveness is you're releasing the need. You don't need me to make it right. Or if you've hurt me, I don't need you to make that right, to pay back that debt. Now both of these concepts are taught in the Bible. Forgiveness, no matter what, unconditionally. Doesn't matter what happens to you, you're commanded to forgive. If something heinous happens to you, you're commanded to forgive because God knows actually you'll be better off if you can forgive. So we have to forgive. And you've also got these statements about justice. And they need to be overlaid together to help this make sense. Forgiveness does not necessarily eliminate our need for our sense of justice. It just takes justice out of our hands. If you have a friend or a daughter 
and they were sexually assaulted in some way, God would say the right thing to do in the long run is for that young lady and for you to forgive. It might be unforgivable, but you will be able to process better in the long run if you forgive. But there's no expectation that you would want society to not punish. There's no expectation that you want laws to be set aside in a criminal situation, even if you forgive. A little less severe if you've been in an abusive relationship or inappropriate behavior towards you in a job setting or with a friend. You have to forgive. But God's justice is still relevant in those situations. just can't be personal. Third, when relationships fail, try to reverse the crazy cycle. Now, we're going to get back to the forgiveness aspect in a sentence in a, in a moment. But this is a, more, a very practical issue for all of us if you're in close relationships. Verses 20 and 21. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I've used the words here, crazy cycle, where relationships fail, try to reverse the crazy cycle. Those words actually come from a marriage author that Dee Dee and I are familiar with, and so it's a term we use in our marriage. And what Paul is saying here is, to be overcome by evil is to meet evil with evil. That's what it means when you're overcome by evil. Somebody does something mean to you or inappropriate to you, and you fight back. In that situation, you have been overcome by evil because evil is winning. You're reacting to it. Now, if you're in a marriage, again, our favorite marriage authors call this the crazy cycle. So something negative happens in your marriage. Spouse one offends spouse two. So spouse two responds negatively. And then spouse one responds to that offense with a new secondary offense. And then the second spouse responds to the secondary offense. It becomes like second grade playground. And this happens in relationships. It happens in our marriages. And the crazy cycle, according to this author, is when somebody has to step in. They recognize that that's never going to end. Somebody needs to step in and overcome evil with good and say, you know what, I'm going to be the mature one in this situation. I'm just going to stop this. I'm not going to keep paying back the latest offense with another comment or another dig. Now, in my marriage, usually one of us will say, I'm going to be the mature one now, and so we kind of joke about that. You know, we step into the crazy cycle and just stop the cycle, and we, of course, claim to be the mature one, and that usually brings a smile to both of our faces, and we laugh about it and move on. But Paul is trying to talk about this by quoting an Old Testament proverb where he talks about heaping burning coals on somebody's head. And what he's referring to is sort of when you do something loving towards somebody who has hurt you, it sort of tends to create some, a little bit of shame and contrition because you're not retaliating. And if that person is being aggressive and you're just responding by being good, not evil, it makes the aggressor look a little ridiculous. And over time, that softens somebody's heart. And either way, it's leaving justice with God, it's not personal revenge. Stop the crazy cycle. Now, I wanna move back to this issue of forgiveness. When relationships fail, we have multiple paths in front of us. I wanna talk about four potential paths that you can take when you have a great offense that has taken place. And there are four themes that I wanna unite here and make this extremely practical. 
there are four questions that every one of us face that help to clarify the future path of a relationship when we've been deeply wounded or offended. The first question is, and I don't have these listed on a slide, but they'll all show up in our four options in a sense. The first question is, do I want to forgive or not? Do I want to forgive or not? Now, as a Christian, there's really only supposed to be one answer to that, but it's a legitimate issue. Forgiveness is an obedience issue. You don't have to obey. Do I want to forgive or not? The second issue is, do I want revenge or justice or neither? Am I going to forgive? What am I going to do with the offense? How am I going to act against the offense? Do I want to act personally? Or do I want God's justice or society's justice or neither? The third is, the next time I see this individual, do I want relational peace? This concept of peace comes up in verse 18. Do I want continued relational peace or harmony? Or even if I'm forgiving somebody, do I really want to end a relationship and stay away from them in the future? The fourth question related to that, do I want relational restoration and normalcy? Now these are all very separate yet interrelated issues. And I want to describe four possible paths that face every one of us when we go through a fractured relationship, when we find ourselves in a rut based on the principles in Romans 12 and the command to forgive. Path number one, don't forgive, pursue revenge, There'll be no relational peace, and there'll be no restoration. This is the non-spiritual yet fun path. While seeking to better understand the nature of aggression, David Chester of Virginia Commonwealth University, along with Nathan DeWall of the University of Kentucky, started studying revenge. They discovered that a person who is insulted or or socially rejected feels an emotional pain. The area in the brain associated with pain was most active in participants who went on to react with an aggressive response after feeling rejected. Chester said it's tapping into an ancient tendency to respond to threats and harm with aggressive retaliation. In a follow-up study, he was surprised to find that emotional pain was intricately yoked with pleasure. That is, while rejection initially feels painful, it can quickly be masked by pleasure when presented with the opportunity to get revenge. Why people say revenge is sweet. It actually feels sweet in your brain chemically. It activates the brain's known reward circuit, the nucleus accumbens. People who are provoked behave aggressively precisely because it can be a rewarding experience. Revenge really can be sweet. But it's not a good way to live. A recently discovered draft of Napoleon Bonaparte's will was sold at an auction in Paris for about $150,000. One month before his death, a bedridden Napoleon in exile on the island of St. Helena dictated his will. In the draft, he expressed that he forgave his enemies, the English, but those lines were scratched out and did not appear in the final version. The scratched out lines included the words, as a Christian, I forgive them. But he scratched out those lines, and in the final copy he wrote, I die prematurely, assassinated by the English oligarchy. Just could never let it go. And you know what? As good as it may feel, and as much as your brain's reward system might even throw a few chemicals your way, 
It's not an option for a Christian. I think we've all been there for a short period of time. But we're commanded to forgive. And when we forgive, we are the greatest beneficiaries because we're taking the load off of our backs that we really want somebody else to carry. Bitterness is a process where we drink the poison that we intend for somebody else. You're just never going to be happy, bitter. Even if you've been deeply wounded, you will be better off getting through it. Path number two. Forgive, leave, leave justice with God or society. There's no relational peace in the future. You're not interested in a relationship, and there's no restoration. Now, I know some of you are going to look at that and say, well, that doesn't sound like forgiveness. And here's where you need to separate the idea of forgiveness from full restoration, because there is a difference. And I think sometimes we have a very sloppy theological view of forgiveness, and we assume if you forgive, everything's going to be okay again. That's not necessarily the case. But this is a tough place to be. I have lived there. I live in this situation with a specific incident in my life and may never be able to get past this situation. And so do you in some cases. This takes place when you never get an honest apology from somebody. The offense has been great, but you are never going to get the truth from the other person. And as a result of that, God commands you to forgive. You're going to have to go through that process but you don't have an interest in a future relationship because there's never going to be truth there. And all you can do is take the first two steps. You choose to forgive. You choose to take that burden off of them to make it right with you. You release the need for revenge. And you let them be God's issue. The problem is this doesn't feel great because there's never restoration. And we long for restoration but it's not always possible. Path number three, forgive. Justice no longer matters to you. This is gonna feel a lot better. Forgive, but justice no longer matters, or you're gonna leave it to God or society, but frankly, it really doesn't matter to you that anything is ever made right there. Relational peace is restored. If you see this person in the grocery store, you're happy to say, hi, how you doing? You catch up on your kids. You catch up on what's going on in your personal lives. But the reality is the relationship is generally over. You don't really trust this person. You don't really want to have a long-term relationship with them. But when you see them, you're able to be cordial. This is actually pretty common. This is actually most divorces. You forgive. You're not trying to get even. You're getting along for the sake of the kids, but you're not remarrying. You're not getting back together. Trust is broken, and it's a path that many of us are on in many relationships in our lives. And finally, path number four, and this is ideal, where it can happen if it's possible. You forgive. Justice no longer matters. It's not important to you that anything's paid back or made right there. Relational peace is restored. You're connected again with that person. There's no animosity on either side. There's been forgiveness. There's been ownership on both sides. And this has been so positive that you want a full restoration of the relationship. You want to continue in a close relationship with that person. This is the ideal. 
And so there's no long-term pain here. All the other scenarios have some long-term pain, some wounding in your soul. This is what happens in a healthy marriage. There's gonna be offenses. You're gonna forgive. You're not trying to get justice. There's relational peace. And there's full restoration. That's a healthy marriage. It's a healthy, lifelong friendship. That's what it looks like. There is a happy ending to the pain. It's obviously the ideal. Relational ruts and renovations. Just want to close with three suggestions. First, grade over the relationship rut. The day after Asa and I were stuck in a three-quarter ton pickup, we came upon a road grader. We were driving the same roads the next day, and there was a road grader there. And we had been on miles of roads the day before, and today, those roads that had had ruts that were six, eight inches, a foot deep, had been graded over and were almost perfectly smooth. Roads that had been a mess where we were, were going along bumps or, or almost getting stuck were transformed. But it didn't happen without some effort. And it won't happen in relationships without some effort on your part and on God's part in you. But some of us are in a rut, in a relationship. And we don't look that different from one of our famous old stories and movies. Herman Melville's Moby Dick tells the story of revenge and obsession. Captain Ahab, a whaler, loses a leg to a white whale. A smoldering anger begins to grow in the one-legged captain. His anger grows into a fixation on revenge against this sea monster that had crippled him for life. And as his lust and hatred grow, so does his lack of wisdom. On his next whale hunting trip, the driving force in his soul begins to override good judgment, putting him, the crew, and his ship into insanely hazardous situations. Common sense is overruled by his wild passion for killing the white whale. Everything else is secondary and as the captain hurls man and ship into perilous sea of hate, his opportunity to take vengeance finally arrives. The white whale is within his grasp. For three days they chase it. Till the crew members finally realize that Ahab's folly may mean doom, not for the whale, but for all of them. You know, we all have a little Ahab in us when we're deeply hurt. And sometimes we will let bitterness take apart our own lives and the lives of those around us. And we need to break free. We need to break free before we're destroyed. And sometimes in the worst situations, and I've had to do this, and I find it very confusing as a Christian, forgiveness can be a sheer act of will. And that's it. Because I think we feel like we can't forgive unless we can feel it. Sometimes you're not gonna feel very forgiving. And you will find yourself incapable of really wanting to take the burden off of somebody else to make things right with you. As a staff, we were watching one of the um, Global Leadership Summit speakers on this subject. There was a woman who had gone through a lot of very difficult personal experiences. She was talking about the issue of forgiveness. And in my own life, there was something I knew I needed to deal with. I maybe thought I had before but sometimes we need a marker in our lives to help us know that we process something spiritually and we've gotten through it. 
And I looked in my office this morning I, as I was writing this. I, I didn't have it in front of me. When I got here this morning, I, I grabbed a quote that I actually wrote down on a, on a piece of cardboard, the end of a stack of paper that's got the cardboard behind it. I wrote down these words about a situation in my life where I was choosing to forgive just by sheer willpower. And here's what I wrote. They took my life away. I forgive them. I don't feel it, but the blood of Jesus covers what I do not feel. They took my life away. I forgive them. I don't feel it, but the blood of Jesus covers what I do not feel. Sometimes in our lives, that's the best we can do. And we need the grace of God to help us to walk through a process that just can't come from our hearts because we don't have it within us. Some of you might be in that rut today. And the right thing to do, even though you don't feel like you, need, you can forgive, is to just take the step of verbally saying it to God and asking his grace to cover what you are incapable of feeling or doing. Second, discover the freedom of being forgiven. Sometimes we're the ones who have done the hurting. Sometimes we do some damage. We may not do it intentionally. Maybe we do do it intentionally. And we carry that debt of the offense that somebody needs to let go of. And if you are capable of going to that person and working through that with them, you can heal that person and yourself by owning your part of it. When Shannon Etheridge was just 16 years old, an act of forgiveness and love changed her life forever. She was driving to her high school one day and she ran over Marjorie Jartsfer, a woman who was riding her bike along a country road. Marjorie died. And Etheridge, who was found completely at fault by authorities, was consumed by intense guilt. She contemplated suicide, but she never took her life because of the healing response of one man, Gary the woman's husband. The woman's husband. Husband of the woman she had killed. Gary forgave the 16-year-old and asked the attorney to drop all charges against her, not even to ask for society's justice. Could have forgiven her and still said, let the law do what the law does. Asked the attorney to drop the charges, saving her from a probable guilty verdict. Instead, he simply asked that Etheridge continue on in, a godly, in the godly footsteps that his wife had taken. He said, you can't let this ruin your life. He said to her 20 years ago, God wants to strengthen you through this. In fact, I'm passing Marjorie's legacy on to you. Gary's act of forgiveness showed Etheridge the amazing love of God. And today, Etheridge is the best-selling author of Every Girl's Battle and Every Woman's Battle. And her recent book, Completely His, Loving Jesus Without Limits, helps women overcome guilt-ridden, wounded lives. Discover the freedom of being forgiven. Being forgiven is freedom. Maybe you're on the offending side of a situation that you can make right. And finally, discover the joy of giving forgiveness. You know, it might be a situation where you've been deeply wounded and you're able, by the grace of God in your heart, to really come to a point where you can be at peace with it where you don't need anybody to suffer God's justice or society's justice, where you can really restore a relationship. 
And there's a lot of freedom in that. Many Americans, probably Canadians as well, were moved by the Vietnam-era Pulitzer Prize-winning photo of a nine-year-old Phan Thai Kim Phuc, naked and horribly burned, running from a napalm attack during the Vietnam War. But for John Plummer, minister of Bethany United Methodist Church in Virginia, that picture had special significance because in 1972, he was responsible for setting up the airstrike on the village of Trang Bang, a strike approved after he was twice assured that there were no civilians in the area. So during the Vietnam War, he set up the strike to destroy a village, assured no innocent people would die. In June of 1996, he saw a network news story about Kim Phuc and learned that she was not only alive, but she was living in Canada, in Toronto. Plummer found out she was speaking at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. He invited members of a Vietnam helicopter flight crew to attend the speech with him. As Kim Phuc addressed the crowd, she said that if she ever met the pilot of the plane, she would tell him she forgives him and that they cannot change the past, but she hoped they could work together in the future. Plummer was able to get word to her that the man she wanted to meet was there at the event. And this is what he says. She saw my grief. She saw my pain, my sorrow. He wrote in an article for the Virginia Advocate. She held out her arms to me and embraced me. And all I could say was, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Over and over again. And at the same time, he was saying, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. She was saying, it's all right. It's all right. I forgive. I forgive. Plummer learned that Kim Phuc had become a Christian in 1982. The more we follow Christ, hopefully the more his grace can penetrate our lives and even in difficult situations, we can rise above the rut that we're in and truly offer forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that really helps with full restoration where possible. Great over the relationship rut. Discover the freedom of being forgiven and discover the joy of giving forgiveness. God, we thank you for your word. And as we look into your word, we see that you, you are very practical. You understand us. You understand human behavior. You created us. And you watched as we broke this world. We broke our humanity. And, and you recognize that not everything is repairable. You're very practical about that. You don't expect everything to be repaired. But you also know that the best way to repair us, the best way to help us in our hearts is, as people with a soul spirit that will live forever, people with moral impulse because we're created in the image of God. The best thing for us is that we, in a healthy way, forgive because of how you've forgiven us and, and ideally find restoration in relationships. Not all, not all can be. But if it's possible, as much as we can control, you want us to do that. I pray that you would help each of us in some part of our life, in some relational corner of our lives, to take a step today towards that kind of forgiveness and, if possible, restoration. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. We hope you found it connected you to the God of truth and love who we worship and serve at Bethany Chapel. If you have any questions or want to connect to any of our pastors, please go to our Bethany Chapel app and choose Connect 
or go online to bethanychapel.com and click come. Thanks again, and God bless you.